0: What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of Vetfolio Voice. I loved this episode, sponsored by Decra, where I was joined by Dr. Jan Bellows to talk about what else but dentistry. If you've listened to the podcast, you've probably picked up on the fact that I really enjoy dentistry. I love teeth, I've done a ton of CE in dentistry, and it's a procedure that I'm involved in a fair bit and where I feel like I've developed some respectable skills. However, despite my love of dentistry, I still get into situations where I'm uncomfortable and frankly, I'm not having fun anymore. Whether it's a broken root or a difficult tooth or a tooth that's pushed in the mouth sideways in a brachycephalic mouth, there are some anxiety inducing moments for sure. Well, Dr. Bellows and I started this conversation talking about multimodal preventative dental care, including wipes, chews, water additives, and how all of this combined can really help accomplish our goal of keeping pets teeth in their mouths, which of course will help keep us out of those anxiety inducing moments. However, despite our best efforts, sometimes we still end up in extraction land. So when that happens, Dr. Bellows has kind of a novel technique for extraction that we talk about in detail in this episode. I don't wanna give too much away, but he says that using this technique I can learn to love a lower canine extraction. Uh, So the jury's still out on that one, but I'll be sure to report back. So if you don't already know him, let me tell you a little bit more about Dr. Bellows and then let's talk elegant extractions. Dr. Jan Bellows has devoted his veterinary career to helping animals and veterinarians through dental practice and education. Dr. Bellows received his undergraduate training at the University of Florida, go Gators, and his doctorate in veterinary medicine from Auburn University. After completing a small animal internship at the Animal Medical Center in New York City, he returned to South Florida where he still practices companion animal medicine, surgery and dentistry. He's certified by the American Board of Veterinary Practitioners, Canine and Feline since 1986 and the College of Veterinary Dentistry since 1990. He's past president of the American Veterinary Dental College and the Veterinary Dental Forum. He's been past president of the Foundation for Veterinary Dentistry since 2016. Dr. Bellows has authored five veterinary dentistry texts and is also a frequent contributor to DVM News Magazine. Dr. Bellows is a charter consultant of the Veterinary Information Network, or VINs, dental board since 1993. And he was also chosen as one of the dental experts to formulate AHA's small animal dental guidelines published in 2005 and contributed to updated versions in 2013 and 2019. All right, let's talk dentistry. Well, I'm again joined by Dr. Jan Bellows, and we're going to talk about what else but dentistry. Dr. Bellows, I always love talking to you and picking your brain about all things dental related.
1: Oh, I love talking about it too, and it's a lot of fun and a lot people can do veterinarians and staff can do to help their patients.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's what I love so much about it is like you do one of these really successful dental procedures or you talk to a client and, you know, they implement a good preventative care plan. And I don't know, I almost feel like I go home feeling better in those scenarios. Like my teeth feel better.
1: <laughs> you know, you we really are helping animals out. I mean, it's clients always say, oh, how's my dog or cat going to eat after you take out the teeth? And I say better than ever before because they're not eating on wobbly teeth anymore.
0: Absolutely.
1: The key to these is try to figure out how to prevent it so where you won't be in this situation.
0: Yes. yes. So let's jump into that a little bit. We talked about it a lot back in our chat in 2022, but like you said, the the importance of preventative dentistry, we, we can't overstate it. It's just, that's the mainstay of our dental care. So- Can you talk about, from your perspective, what preventative dentistry looks like and maybe some talking points for our clients?
1: Preventative dentistry really needs to be in the forefront of what veterinarians think about. You know, a lot of veterinarians call the procedure doing a dental, but now they morph to something called a COHAT, which is Comprehensive Oral Health Assessment and Treatment, but they're missing prevention, so we call it in our office, a copat, which prevention is first. And if you do prevention first, then you, generally you don't have to take out so many teeth later on in the animal's life. And it starts, you know, in, 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 in my practice, even though toothbrushing is the gold standard, unfortunately, clients can't figure out what to do with the toothbrush after. Do they put it next to their toothbrush in the bathroom or do they put it in that draw in the kitchen that has all sorts of junk in it. Many can't figure out how to manually pick up the lips and which part of the tooth to brush and putting on the toothpaste. It's just too much. So they don't, they don't do it. So if they're not going to do it, why do we recommend it? So instead of that, I recommend, or for for my own dog, I use the VetriDent wipes, which are like small little handkerchiefs and come out out of a really easy to use container. And I use it on my dog every single day, right after she eats. And she knows after that, she's gonna get some VOHC accepted dental treats.
0: There you go. And I actually, after talking to you last year, started using the Vetrodent dental wipes in my own dog. And I've recommended them to many clients. I like them a lot. I think they work really well.
1: Yeah. They also have some water additives that also decrease the accumulation of plaque. The the whole goal is to decrease plaque. Some folks think it's decreasing tartar, but tartar doesn't cause periodontal disease. It's the plaque. So if left alone, plaque plus the salivary proteins and the calcium and phosphorus form tartar and tartar is rough, which forms more plaque and then more tartar and more plaque and more, until the point that the good bacteria turn to bad bacteria, eat away the periodontal support of the tooth and you're in trouble. So the key is to decrease plaque and some of the water additives do that.
0: Let me back up for just a minute and make sure my understanding is correct because I feel like it was just recently this all kind of clicked in my mind and I went, oh, this is what all of these words mean and how they play together. So the plaque is the accumulation of bacteria and other substances on the surface of the tooth. And then, like you said, that kind of chelates with the calcium and the phosphorus coming from the salivary glands. And that's kind of what mineralizes into tartar, which is synonymous with calculus. And you're saying it's, and and because that, that tartar is rough, it's a good surface for more of this bacteria to adhere and chelate and kind of continue to accumulate. Is that correct?
1: Right. And then the body's response to the plaque, the inflammation is what causes the beginning of periodontal disease. So if you don't have that that much plaque, then you're not going to have that much periodontal disease. And the first stage of periodontal disease is called gingivitis, which is just inflammation of the gingiva. And then if untreated or, you know, just, if you leave it alone and you don't brush or you don't wipe for six months, then it morphs into the different stages of periodontal disease 2, 3, and 4, and none of them will occur without gingivitis. So you can't have periodontal disease without gingivitis. You could have gingivitis without periodontal disease, but you want to cure gingivitis if possible.
0: Sure. Thank you for clarifying that. Like I said, it was just recent that all the words started to like click and make sense in my head. So if anybody else was struggling with that, I figured I would ask the expert here.
1: That's kind of how dentistry is. All of a sudden, things click in, and that's part of the journey. That's why you have to go through a lot of CE and webinars and wet labs, and it just clicks in as time goes on. So if the veterinarians or technicians listening to this don't get it all at once, just just keep working on it.
0: That's that's great advice. Absolutely, I I love dentistry and pursue a lot of CE in it. And yes, there's like little techniques that the more you do them, all all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's how that works. That's what that's what that feels like when it's going to come loose or whatever it is that you're doing. It's true. So before we jump into something else that we want to click in, uh, which is an extraction technique, let's stay on this preventative care for just a little bit longer. I want to talk about water additives because. Typically they've kind of been my last go to where, you know, I try to talk about wipes and shoes and things like that. And then I, I kind of get to water additives. But I understand that that Vetrident from Decra just earned the VOHC seal of approval, which kind of got my attention. Are there many water additives that have this VOHC seal? Like what is what's your opinion on water additives and and how are you using these products?
1: All right. So in order to get VOHC acceptance, the product has to at least decrease the accumulation of plaque or tartar, depending on which seal they get, by 20%. So, everything that you use in dentistry helps. It's not like if you just use one thing, animal, the animal is not going to get periodontal disease. So, there are a handful of water additives that have the VOH seal of approval. And it's it's a big deal to get the seal of, actually it's called seal of acceptance. And the VetroDem product does have that seal. So it's something that we do recommend in our office.
0: Okay. Okay. Interesting. I mean, and that's good to know because a lot of owners really like water additives and I always struggle with how to communicate when it comes to water additives. So certainly, you know, looking at that VOHC website and seeing which ones have that, you know, clinical backing would make a big difference in in the confidence in recommending those products, which of course, like you said, you know, they don't fix everything in a vacuum. It's a, it's a combination of, of preventative care and treatment measures that keep mouths healthy.
1: Right, and I feel that the mechanical removal of the plaque is the most important thing. Sure. So if they're not going to use the toothbrush, at least use the wipe. <laughs> you know, in 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 my hands, that wipe works great.
0: I would agree. Super easy to use, and and yeah, my dog my dog would he's a lab, so he'll eat anything, but he doesn't seem to mind the taste or the texture or anything like that.
1: Yep. And there are dental diets also. Sure. You know that. Will help. So it's it, it's all part of, it. it's another arrow in your uh, quiver of arrows to help to control periodontal disease.
0: Yes. And I will take all the arrows I can get, especially when I'm thinking of like little brachycephalics with sideways teeth. Let's keep those teeth in the mouth. I really would prefer not to take them out.
1: <laughs> yep.
0: So along those lines, thinking of extractions, sometimes, you know, either maybe we have a pet that won't tolerate preventative care or despite the best preventative care, we still end up with periodontal disease and we go to extractions. I really want to jump into your technique for extractions because I understand you amputate the crown of the tooth and you kind of treat your extractions like root tip extractions, which to me sounds like. The stuff of my nightmares. So I want to know how you're doing this and learn more about it, because if this could, you know, one, help us be comfortable when we do have to do a root tip extraction or even intentionally do it to make the entire extraction easier, I'm looking at you, brachycephalic dogs, then, you know, then I want to learn more about it.
1: Well, it's not really the root tip extraction that you have to worry about. Most times, When a root fragment is left behind, it's way down the alveolus. In this situation, the root tip is right at the gingival margin. So, for our extractions, and I like to call them elegant extractions, for our elegant extractions, I remove the crowns of the canine, of the premolars, of even of the molars, and then use a number 701 surgical burr to make a moat all the way around the root that's left, and then use a sharpened wing-tipped elevator. The advantage of doing it this way versus doing it the way we used to do it was the way we used to do it, we only accessed the buccal surface or the labial surface we were unable to access the palatal surface or the lingual surface because the crown was there by removing the crown you get 360 degrees around the root it just makes it so much easier
0: that's interesting and so would you do this on on you said you know premolars and molars and canines I do it
1: on every everybody incisors well it, i mean you can but in sizes okay. usually uh, if you got to remove them that's periodontal disease and they usually plop out.
0: Yes, little piano keys that are just going. Uh, okay, so I'm I'm trying to picture this technique on say one of our larger teeth. Can we talk about it maybe in like two specific teeth? So Sure. Maybe like a, an upper fourth premolar and a bottom canine, two of sure. what I think are are some difficult teeth to remove.
1: Yep, yep. So, for the upper fourth premolar, one of the challenges that people have is sectioning them perfectly and trying to guess where you put put the section. With the upper fourth premolar, once you remove the crown, it's sectioned already for you because the roots are only left and it's just so easy to take out the palatal root that way.
0: And so do you you have these patients in dorsal recumbency when you're doing this? I'm assuming so you can see that palatal root. Okay. Do you do all of your extractions in dorsal recumbency?
1: Usually dorsal lateral. Yeah. Yeah. Even your mandibular first molar, that's that's a very large rooted tooth.
0: Sure. Sure. Dorsal lateral. And one question I always have when I think about dogs in dorsal recumbency, because certainly like with an upper fourth, it seems like a much easier way to do that extraction, to have this pup in dorsal recumbency so you can see all those roots much more clearly. Do you worry about airway, aspiration, water, anything like that?
1: So obviously we have a cuff on the tube and we suction the mouth out before removing the cuff and we remove the cuff kind of late in the procedure. Okay. You know, So we take them off anesthetic and then put them on oxygen for a while until they're swallowing. And then we just gently remove it
0: and we suction the mouth. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Absolutely. Same story for a bottom canine that you have them in dorsal and how are you doing those extractions?
1: Absolutely love the bottom canine because you don't have to worry about the angle of trying to get your wing tipped elevator in there. A really important point is that you get a set of Very thin wing tipped elevators, and that they are pre sharpened for every single extraction procedure. Um, Most veterinary practices don't have a sharpening stone, so they're using the same wing tipped elevator that they bought when they bought the practice. It's so easy to sharpen a uh, wing tipped elevator, you just Get a sharpening stone or Arkansas sharpening stone. Put a little oil on it, and just go back and forth and back and forth, and it makes it easy.
0: Absolutely. So getting in there to kind of sever that periodontal ligament yes. as you're elevating, and and get that to move. Right.
1: And with the elegant extraction technique, you don't have the your flap doesn't have to be that big uh, because you're you know kind of halfway there already because you took away the ground, so you don't have to flap the entire root. You just have to about maybe half the root, if sometimes not even that much, because your exposure and with the moat, that 701 surgical burr, once you start using it, you'll absolutely love it because it's six millimeters longer than any other burr that you have. So it really it's like an extended shovel and you can go around the tooth so much easier.
0: Wow. Okay. And so you're saying you make your flap and then you're taking away... Alveolar bone roughly half the length of the root that you have left, and then you're 360 degrees around that root that's remaining. And that's just giving you really good access with that tipped elevator to loosen up that periodontal ligament and have it come out with less alveolar bone removal. Is that right?
1: Right. But before you use the wingtip elevator, use a 701 surgical that you make a moat all the way around. Right. Yeah, you know, 360 degrees, which you don't have the advantage of doing that if you don't take off the ground. Okay. You only have half the tooth, so it, it kinda makes it doubly as easy.
0: I feel like the jury is still out on if I will ever love the bottom canine, but I'm willing to give it a try and see.
1: <laughs> There's an article in August 23rd, uh, DVM News Magazine on their technique and pictures.
0: Yes, and I was lucky enough you sent me some of these pictures and definitely go check out that article because yeah, you, the pictures are really impressive and it does make sense when you see it. I'm excited to give it a try. I wanted to talk to you before before I attempted this, but it makes sense seeing the pictures and having that moat and that direct access into the alveolus that, you know, potentially you can get these teeth out with a lot less bone removal, which you know, in certain areas can be a little bit intimidating.
1: And you know, if any veterinarians have any questions on it, they can always email me. It's dentalvet at AOL. Um, and I'm always happy to help.
0: What about other kind of tips and tricks for extractions? When you have veterinarians call you or email you and say, hey, I'm struggling with this extraction. I had this problem. Is there kind of a common thread or something you want to make sure that practitioners know about extracting teeth?
1: Yeah, absolutely. A big problem that some veterinarians have is hemorrhaging. And what happens is when you're they're accessing the upper fourth premolar by mistake, they hit the maxillary artery and it bleeds and they panic. And they don't, you know, it's it it, it can be very challenging. and some veterinarians don't like dentistry because of it. And I think all veterinarians should love dentistry because it's something that they can really help their patients with. So they need to, know how to control hemorrhaging. And the if they're in that situation, the first thing they should do is ask their tech to get them some extra towels to raise the head. The second is to place gauze over the bleeding area with pressure for about a minute or two. And if that doesn't work, use one of the hemostatic agents. We use Vetagel, which is a fairly new product, but really works nicely to control the hemorrhaging. And then the question is, all right, I was trying to get the root and I hit the artery. What do I do now? And I generally advise, don't go back. And you know tell the client that the root separated during the procedure, which sometimes happens, and it shouldn't be an issue, but it's something that we'll recheck. And if it turns into an issue with Either swelling underneath the eye or swelling of the gingiva, then you can refer it to a veterinary dentist who will get that root out. But most times it doesn't turn into a problem. So I'd recommend not going back after it because if you do, then you have the hemorrhaging all over again. And the hemorrhaging can, can be pretty severe.
0: Sure, sure. So the biggest thing is, is stop the bleeding. And then, you know, like you said, we can revisit that root tip if it becomes a problem later on.
1: Right. An- another issue is the your burrs that you use, every procedure should use new fresh burrs. Fortunately, they're very inexpensive. We incorporate it in our extraction pack fee. And I've never had a client say, no, I want you to use the old burrs. I don't want to pay that. So they, they're very happy to pay for it. Also, before you close any extraction site, you should use a diamond-encrusted football burr to smooth the alveolus because the alveolar crest can be pretty sharp and if the poor dog or cat has to eat over a sharp alveolar crest for the rest of their life that's kind of not fair it'd be a lot better to be smooth
0: right absolutely kind of almost defeated the purpose there a little bit when you leave them a sharp edge to chew on sure so i want to just ask your opinion on what you said about not going back after this root tip so let's say there there is a root tip left behind mm-hmm. So we come back at a certain point later and we recheck this and we've got a dog who is not showing any swelling, is not showing gingivitis, we're eating, we're drinking, everything looks good. The extraction site is healed up beautifully. What would be your indication to go back after that root tip? Would it be a radiographic finding or primarily clinical signs? Either. Okay.
1: Either. Radiographically, if there's a periapical lucency, which won't occur for nine months to a year, then you go back cuz there's an infected area or if there's clinically if there's a swelling or or bleeding or a fistula really the only tooth that will cause that issue is the upper fourth premolar and you know oftentimes if it happens on the mandibles again tell the client put it in the record and follow up but you, you're just not going to have a problem
0: That is good to know, Um, because I've kind of seen it go both ways, where I've seen them cause a problem and I've seen them not cause a problem. And, you know, I've I've talked to many different dentists who all seem to admit if you put a whole bunch of dentists in a room and ask the same question, you'll get (laughs) different answers. And I love hearing, you know, all of the different things and correlating them with what I'm hearing, with what I see clinically. And I think that's one of the things I love so much about dentistry is it leaves a lot open to what you're seeing clinically and your judgment as a practitioner.
1: Right. But you also have to feel for the animal. Sure. So let's say you have one that comes in with a discolored tooth. I mean, the animal's eating or even a fractured tooth, the animal's eating, everything's fine, but that tooth is probably gives them dull pain. So it's something that I, I think everybody should pal up with a veterinary dentist and be able to send pictures and send radiographs and get get some advice if they're having an issue. Fortunately, there are only 225 of us, so you're not going to get that many opinions. <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's true. That's a good point.
1: When I got board certified, I was number 13, and uh, it was easier to get sure. less opinions. But uh, with your teeth that you leave behind, it's really stressful for a lot of veterinarians, and that's why they don't like dentistry. And I I implore them to go to wet labs they're all around the country they can check on the website abdc.org that's american veterinary dental college.org they they list a lot of the ce opportunities every year we have a dental forum where they we have 30 hours of wet labs and most of them are on extractions so there's a lot of good opportunities
0: amazing amazing Gosh, there's, I mean, I just love dentistry, so I could just sit here and continue to pick your brain for <laughs> for the entire afternoon. Couple kind of quick questions that, that come to mind while we're talking about all of this, especially talking about extractions and, you know, broken roots, things like that. You know, they bring to mind, of course, when you do have those root tips that we talked about earlier that are way down the alveolus. So you have one that separates, not talking about the hemorrhage that we were talking about earlier Do you have some advice for practitioners who do feel like they're in a place where they want to go and they want to try to retrieve that root tip, how to do that successfully?
1: Sure. Okay. Number one, you have to take the radiograph. You have to know what you're dealing with because a lot of them are related to tooth resorption. So the reason why it's separated is because the root was resorbing and it was very easy to separate and it's going to be harder to get. If you want to go and get the tooth fragment, the key there is to make a very large flap, remove the lateral alveolus, and fortunately, the dentin is the second hardest structure in the body. Enamel is the hardest, but the dentin is the second hardest, and it is of a different consistency than the alve- than the bone surrounding it. So it's pretty easy to see. And then hopefully you have a... a instrument called a root tip pick, which you just go down on the side and out it comes. Yes. Uh, What you don't want to do is atomize it. What we used to do, especially in cats, is take a very large burr and just go right down the alveolus and atomize the root. But what was happening is we weren't removing enough root tip or we were removing too much bone. So you don't want to do that. You want to just gently dissect it out.
0: Yeah, I... I had my first experience with a root tip pick recently. Those are magical tools and it was really surprising to me because you know you get that like moment of at least I do that that moment of fear, that moment of anxiety like oh gosh, now I got to drill a whole bunch and it looks like a big black hole down there. Okay, let's try it. And um and it really it you know it was surprisingly easy using that root tip pick to get that root out.
1: Very important to have a good set of loops that are illuminated and that are magnified two point five percent, two point five times, which loops when you're going after those roots, because you just can't see them sometimes,
0: absolutely, absolutely. yeah, they are life changing, especially yep. with that light source. Wonderful. Last question I have has to do with dental blocks, you know because the anesthesia, of course, can sometimes be challenging in these patients because the the stimulation to the patient is really variable. Mm-hmm. So, of course, our, our dental blocks being very important, they can also be a little unnerving. You know, there's some areas where we're getting a little close to the eyes, or you really sad, unnerving,
1: unnerving, huh?
0: Uh, unnerving. Oh gosh, no pun intended. I didn't even catch that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad you heard that. Yes, the nerve blocks can be unnerving. Right. At least that's our goal. I think
1: that title of a, a future article. That's good.
0: Oh, I love it. Oh my gosh, if you do that, please tell me. I would love. We'll I need see to see it. that. Good. <laughs> Yeah. So basically tips for a successful nerve block and, you know, maybe some anxieties that we have that are a little unfounded. For example, I, you know, you hear the horror stories about dogs chomping their tongues after anesthesia. And in a recent CE that I did, I feel like I got a lot more comfortable talking about how to position the needle, where the foramen is, and what to do if you do have a dog who can't feel his tongue. And all of a sudden I feel much more comfortable with that block. So I'm wondering if you can share kind of some tips on these successful blocks and maybe ways to not have that anxiety. Sure.
1: Okay. Number one, don't mix chemicals. At one time we were mixing lidocaine and epinephrine and bupivacaine together. And they found that every time you add another chemical into the mix, it's decreasing the uh, pH and the PKA of everything else that's in there. So we just use bupivacaine. Second of all, the there's really only three main blocks that you have to worry about. The first one is the maxillary and that you just have to put the needle behind the last tooth, which is your second molar on the top. And you just put it in, oh, maybe an eighth of an inch. You don't want to go too far because the eyeballs there, especially in brachiocephalic animals. The infraorbital, it's pretty easy to find it. And that anesthetizes the teeth in front of the upper fourth premolar. And if you put your thumb on it, on the area after you inject it, uh, it also anesthetizes the upper fourth premolar. On the bottom, we basically just do the mandibular. And for that, and I do it externally, I just follow my finger until I feel a notch in the caudal mandible. And again, place the needle in not too far. And I I implore people to get skulls so they can see where the mandibular nerve enters the mandible. And you shouldn't worry about the tongue thing. I mean, I've never had one. Adverse events do happen. And the most common time for an adverse event and anesthetic event to happen is in the recovery phase. So we put a technician in the cage Within until they're in sternal recumbency.
0: Okay. Okay. That makes sense because you have someone with them the whole time. Yep. Well, I think that's really helpful, you know, to focus on on those three blocks and, you know, especially what you said about that maxillary block being just barely in a small volume so that we're not you know, getting a huge, huge risk there with the eye being right there, and yeah, I think the skulls is a really good recommendation. It's a makes a big difference when you can see that notch and how it relates to that mandibular foramen. Well, Dr. Bellows, this has been fantastic. Thank you for letting me pick your brain on this this really neat extraction technique. I think I'm going to be brave enough to to try it, so I will report back on on how it goes.
1: Please let me know how it goes.
0: Absolutely, absolutely.
1: And if you're you're running into trouble, or any veterinarian is running into trouble, you know I'm always happy to help.
0: That is uh, now you're going to get a bunch of Facetime calls because <laughs> I know I, I'll probably take you up on that.
1: We're we're all we're all in the same community, and I'm always happy to help.
0: Well, wonderful, wonderful. Well, as we wrap up here, are there any final thoughts you want to share?
1: Yes, make sure your patients don't get fed antlers. It's the biggest reason why animals are fracturing their teeth. Online it's it's amazing the recommendations on give, giving antlers to dogs to keep their teeth clean and it's fracturing the upper fourth premolars. So the big deal is don't give antlers.
0: That great advice. Great advice. Do you subscribe to the rule of thumb that if you can make an indent with your thumb in it then Yes um, and no? Okay um you.
1: my my rule of thumb is Any VOHC accepted product, that's VOHC.org, is considered safe. And some of them you can't put your thumb in, but they're safe. They don't don't fracture teeth. They don't get caught down their throat. They're wonderful products. If you use one of those or recommend to your clients one of those, in fact, every one of our patients goes home with a VOHC. They have PDFs for dogs and cat accepted products. And everyone goes home with that.
0: Perfect, perfect. Yeah, no, that makes a big difference because that's of course a big question of what products do we use to to help keep their teeth healthy. Well, Dr. Bellows, thanks again. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. I always learn so much and and, yeah, I will report back on my, my next extraction endeavor. Anytime. Thanks. All right, I'm pretty excited to try this technique and see how it goes. I'm definitely gonna look into this burr and see how how all of this plays out. And I hope everybody else is as excited about learning this as I am. And I hope everyone else out there is as excited to learn this technique as I am. Thank you to Dekra for making this episode possible. Dr. Bellows, thank you so much for joining us and going over all of this in detail. And thanks to everyone who tuned in. For more episodes like this, click on the education tab on the Vetfolio website. As always, we'd love to hear your input on this episode, as well as ideas for topics you'd like to hear from us in the future. Feel free to reach out to me at dvm@vetfolio.com. You can also visit my Facebook page and you can find me on LinkedIn. And remember, if one animal is better off because of you today, it's a great day.